All right, hello, hello, hello. Welcome to another episode of the Stories of Selling Human podcast. I'm your host, Alex Smith, and you know, I started this podcast because I believe everyone in the world will someday be faced with a situation, could be business, could even be personal, that requires you to create change. I think we all want to be heard, seen, and understood, but the people who get our attention and convince, persuade, or influence us are not just salespeople. There are great humans throughout all walks of life that we're drawn to. I'm going to share their stories here so we can tap into what makes us human, practice our human skills, and ultimately, we'll all become better at selling by being human. All right, so the person on this call, a lot of people might not look at this person's title or meet him for the first time and say this person's in sales, um, but he has a lot to teach all of us, I think, of of, uh, persuading or convincing ourselves of things and even connecting with others. This person is just, in my opinion, one of, you know, he was named one of the fittest and mentally toughest 66-year-olds in the world by Joe DeSena, founder of the Spartan Games. You know, when I I could read off a list of all of this person's uh, endurance challenges, but uh, it would probably take up half the podcast. But you know, a couple uh, things. I, he's he's finished twelve Ironmans. He's done seven marathons in seven days on seven continents. Doesn't even compute to many of us who don't run. He's completed an eight day, two hundred thirty eight mile run climb trek from Sparta to Thermopylae, Greece. And um, he became the oldest finish ever to finish the SEAL Fitz Navy SEAL Kokur 50-hour nonstop Hell Week challenge. So just this is a challenge that is not for the faint of heart, 50 hours nonstop of grueling Navy SEAL-style trainings. And he's also a coach. He writes. He's an author. He's a speaker, keynote speaker, and um, just an overall great person. Please welcome none other than Robert Hamilton Owens to the podcast. Welcome, Robert. Hey, good to be here. Good to good to see you again. Yeah, yeah. I, you know, I met Robert through an, uh, another amazing uh, group that we're I'm a part of the Outliers uh, Project with uh, Scott McGregor, and he put so many great people in our orbit. We 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 actually met a, an amazing person today, and and Zion Clark, and just people that have gone through some just transformative things in their life and and gone from you know the, a person they were before to a person they are after and and we talked a little bit about a journey that I'm personally on just with uh, with running a marathon and doing new things in my life um, so I appreciated that so what I thought I'd start out with Robert you know that that kind of like you know in that vein of transformation to let people get to know you before I ask a signature question that I ask all guests tell me a little bit about like you know, if you could put your finger on like, you know, some of the like the biggest transformations in your life, maybe the earliest one, who that person was before that that transformation. And, you know, what was what things did you like? Um, what were some of the most important things you've learned on the on that journey of transformation? And for everyone, I'm, I'm really defining transformation as, you know, really taking you as a person to a different plane, a different you know, level of being right um, before before that, because you know you you have a great story, and I'm sure you can you know help people share it here. But I think we all will at some point in our lives be faced with change ourselves. So I, sa- I said, you know, we'll all be faced with change externally, but you know, I think we'll all be faced with change internally as well. So can you talk a little bit about maybe that transformation that you had, or earliest transformation, and kind of what you learned a little bit on the way. You know, I, um, and thanks for asking. I, I 
uh, grew up thinking that I was dumb and I was not capable, um, not because my parents didn't encourage me, but just life in my life up till um, 20 years of age was just a struggle because I felt that I was not able to compete with other people. I'm adopted and I was adopted as a special needs child and I didn't really learn to run till sixth grade. And my mom was sick with lupus when I grew up and she died and they resurrected her back up. And so I came from a home where I was getting straight A's in elementary school till my mom got sick and died. And I got like straight F's because I didn't know how to cope. But they, they resuscitated her and she fought lupus for the next 45 years. But so I, I had a sick mom. Um, I was sexually assaulted twice in junior high and I began to drink. And my dad's a Menza, he's a genius uh, out of Stanford. Uh, the, the adopting parents gave me the name at three months old of, of Robert. And um, he was a Menza. My mom was a four point out of UCLA. My sister was a four point out of USC. Uh, my dad went on to Stanford Law School four point and um, went in the FBI and he was an overachiever academic. And then they adopted me. And I just didn't feel like I could compete or couldn't um, couldn't do what they thought I could do. And so um, I just struggled with who I was. I had a kid come up to me in third grade and say, don't you know you're a mistake? Nobody wanted you. And um, I went home, you know, and I said, hey, um, hey, mom, am I a mistake? And she said, who said that? You know, and I said, Terry. <laughs> of course, his parents were good friends with my parents, which didn't go real good. And uh, she looked at me and she said, you could tell Terry, your parents chose you. His parents got stuck with him. So oh, I went wow. back down oh, on my yeah. bicycle. You know, and said, Terry, you know? It's a great thing. And to so say. I said, my, my, my mom said, you got your parents were stuck with you, but they chose me. He goes, uh, uh-uh, you know, anyway. What I would probably say to folks listening is that we all have snakes in our head. We all have limited beliefs. We all have things that say, don't try, you can't, couldn't, shouldn't, you're too, you're too this, you're too that. And we then let those weeds grow in our head as if they were our thoughts, but they're not. They're weeds that have taken root in our head. And unless you choose to pull those weeds out, they will live in your head like they belong in your garden. And they really don't, but no one has ever challenged you to pull them out and put new new things in that garden besides of what you survived with or thought about yourself or those kind of things. And so about um, 19 years old, um, I was just out of control drinking and partying and Went to college five times and, you know, just snow skied whenever uh, the snow was there. I didn't go to class and surfed all the time, lived in my van and had a ponytail, you know, it was just all over the place doing fun things, not going anywhere. And I had a water polo coach in high school that um, he grabbed me early on my sophomore year and said, you know, you have a lot of talent. You're really smart, but you're really undisciplined and you're really lazy. And so... I said, thank you so much. You know, he said, so I'm going to um, work you and you're going to, we don't have, we don't have uh, poor people here. We have smart, gifted people here and hard work beats better talent. 
And so he said, I'm going to prove to you that hard work will beat better talent. And I was not an age group swimmer. I came in at 10th grade, you know, swimming against guys, been swimming all the lives. Anyway, um, he proved to all of us kids that hard work beat better talent. We just need to focus and stay disciplined and stay on, on task. And we could do things that we didn't think we could do. And that really shaped me. Uh, what he began to believe in me as well as the other kids back in those days, um, you never saw any dads at any swimming or water polo or, or events during the daytime because that was a World War II generation. They were back building the country. So it was all women and wives and mothers in the, in the stands. And the only male role models we had really that came and really spoke into our lives were coaches. And so <clears throat> those coaches began to rewire and pull some of those weeds <coughs> out of my head. And it was really weird when he pulled them out, like, but I believe they belong there. You know, I believe that I screwed up. I believe that don't try. I mean, just just go along and get along. Anyway, then I had some, so I lifeguarded the beach. And when I lifeguarded the beach, um, the interesting thing was that they only hire kids at 16. And I was water polo swimming. And so I saw all my friends who were 16 lifeguarding at one of four different beaches. And that wasn't a bad job. You could surf before and after work and look at girls all day and occasionally save somebody. So um, my coach challenged me, why don't you go down and try out at 15 and a half just to see what it's like for the next year when you could qualify. And so my mom made me a deal. She said, if you do your homework, I'll take you down the beach more and surf more and stuff. So I said, no, no problem. I'll do my homework. It'll take me to the beach more. So I went down and studied really hard how to do these three events. And the three events were long swims, then a run, swim, rescue, and a run, swim, run, swim thing in the sand. Anyway, I went down for like four or five months and studied the area where the race or the, the event, the tryouts was going to be. And I was a beach kid. I was I, I swam in pools, but I was fortunate that I was raised around the ocean. So I really like the ocean. And so when the day came to um, have the event to try out, you know, 75 kids show up from San Jose State and San Diego State and Cal State Fullerton and University of California, Irvine, some USC guys, everybody wanted to be at the beach, get paid for it, you know. And then the high school kids would show up. <clears throat> and uh, so I'd practiced. I knew that there was a current. I looked the way the currents worked and I, I was a body surfer. And so I knew how to ride waves and stuff. Anyway, they had three events, and as it turned out, I won two and got a third in the third, and I was only 15 and a half, and I beat the collegiate swimmers because it was a big day, and I prayed for a really big day, so they'd all drowned, you know, they didn't know what they're, they're pool guys, and since they're pool guys, when it's booming outside, you know, like you see on, on the video, reels, you know, clips, things, I went, sweet, that's, that's my saving grace. So anyway... I won two and got a third. And when they uh, they then interviewed, you know, I ran up the beach and they gave me a popsicle stick. Popsicle stick, I have number one on it, you know. You got your popsicle stick. They br brought me inside. And they interviewed from first place on down. And they said, well, who are you? Where'd you come from? And I say, I said, I came from with Trey and Steve and Brooke, all my older swimmer lifeguard friends. They brought me down, you know. And they said, well, how'd you pull that off? And I said, I came down here and trained and got a strategy. 
And I figured out a way to win to beat better talent and to be smarter. And I knew the current was going to take guys way past the buoy. So I started way off to the left, let the, the current take me to the buoy versus shoot for the buoy, ending up way off course. Anyway, they said, huh, uh, you know, you're too young. I went, yeah, I know. I come about then for next year so I could see how, how it works for next year. Anyway, that was on a Saturday. The following Thursday, I get a phone call from the lifeguard department captain. He said, hey, um, Bobby, would you uh, like to be a, a lifeguard for San Clemente? I said, I'm too young. He said, we got a waiver from the city manager to hire you. And so we'll put you next to the pier, next to the, the headquarters, and keep an eye on you. Would you like to be a lifeguard at 15 and a half? You'll be the only one we've ever hired. And the only one they've ever hired since. And I said, sure. And so all of a sudden, my swim buddies, water polo buddies went nuts. My coach went nuts because hard work beat better talent. And if you focus, you can do anything. If you say no to certain things, then say yes to one thing. And that one thing was, I'm going to figure this thing out. <clears throat> well, the, at the lifeguard department, we had some Air Force pararescuement, which is the Air Force equivalent of Navy SEALs. Just we were paramedics. And these guys were always a, sort of a head and shoulders above the normal kid um, at 22, 23, 24, 25. Um, they just had their act together. And you could tell there was something different about them. Anyway, they came to me and they said, hey, uh, you know, you're screwed up. You're still drinking too much. Blah, blah. Why don't you come in the military and be a pararescuement? I said, I don't want to do the military in the middle of Vietnam. And they said, you're blowing it, dude. Mountain climb, scuba dive, parachute. The only thing uh, about us that's military is our haircut. We go to REI and get all of our stuff. <laughs> we, it's just a sweet deal. And they pay anyway, you. Then they pay you. They pay you jump pay and hazardous duty pay and all this stuff. You know, you train with rangers and seals and green berets and blah, blah, blah. But you don't have to shoot anybody. You rescue people. So I said to them, I don't have the ability to be a special ops kind of a guy. Again, the snakes in my head, the weeds that had taken, some of the weeds been pulled out, but not enough. And so they said, you have it in you. And if you'll do what we say, and you'll let us train you, you'll smoke that thing. And I went, really? And they went, yeah. And I say halftime here that all along my life, I've had men come to me and say, you're smarter than you think. You're more gifted than you think. We believe in you. You don't believe in you, but we believe in you. And in my teens, my 20s, my 30s, my 40s, my 50s, my 60s, I've had people come invest themselves and say, we see something good in you. Not that I was some stud, but I had faith in their faith in me. I didn't have faith in me, but I had faith in their faith. The power of one person believing and encouraging in somebody else. Anyway, so they said no chicks, no weed, no drinking, no nothing. You focus and let us train you. Uh, Friday nights, you're going to be working out. Saturday mornings, you'll be up early. Um, but if you want to make it, and it's really hard, um, we'll get you ready. As it turned out, I went in the Air Force. We had a class of 150, and um, we graduated seven. All the rest were injured or quit, and then they made me team leader of the seven. And when that happened, of course, the, the sergeant comes up and says, 
what's the deal with you? And how come you're always in back of the line? How come you never talk? You never say anything. I said, Sergeant, I'm just trying to keep my head down, stand the game, you know, <laughs> just trying to stay out of trouble, Sergeant, you know. And he said, what the hell? You're a leader and everybody here follows what you say. And I said, I'm not a leader. He goes, you're a leader. Now act like it. And so um, that just again went, I got snakes in my head. I got, I got weeds in my head that I've just let them live there. These people just see things in me and I don't see those things. But I'm, I'm more and more beginning to see I'm not dumb and I'm not average and I'm not mediocre. If I put my mind to something, I can be pretty good. And so the rest of my life, I've had transformations because I've pulled new weeds out and I've planted new trees or thoughts in my head. And um, I try to do extraordinary things, A, so that I can go back to kids and say, I know the limiting beliefs that are in your head, but you're smart. And I speak at high schools and universities. And then I became a business coach. And I talk to business folks, employees and staff and stuff about sealing out your life or what are the things that are going to bite you in the butt or what are things going to, that they're going to cause you to be disqualified. You have talent, but you'll do stupid things or not do the right things or not spend time with the right people and you'll end up floundering and getting off track. And so for the last 30 years or so, um, I go around, I've been in 30 nations coaching and teaching um, military and non-military on if you look me in the eyes and if you if you listen to me, you can do more than you think. And we teach, I'm a, I'm a paid coach at what's called SEAL Fit, like a CrossFit gym, but it's a CrossFit designed for Navy SEAL training. It was commissioned, it was, a, it was a experiment by the Navy to take a CrossFit and commission it to produce Navy SEAL candidates. And they call it SEAL Fit. And I'm a paid coach there now and have been for the last know, five, six years. And we say there's 20 times more potential in you than you've ever allowed someone to bring out of you. And you don't want someone to bring something out of you because you don't want the pain. You don't want the physical pain, the relational pain, the mental pain, the emotional pain, the social pain. You'd rather have an excuse. You'd rather have an old enemy than a new friend. You, you would rather stay in average and mediocre than challenge yourself to see what's really inside you. And so we look at all these young candidates who want to be Army Rangers or pararescue men or, you know, Navy SEALs or Rangers or whatever. And we say to them, you know, why are you here? And what makes you think you got it? And they will tell us things that they think. We say, we want to know about your why. And we're going to see if we can crush your why to make you say, I really don't want it that bad. And we say, because we want to see at what point you'll quit and when you'll stop believing in yourself, because we want you to never quit. And we want you to always believe in yourself that you can do it, but we're going to test you and we're going to train you so you don't quit when things get hard. And so we then say this morning, we're going to crush you and We'll take you out and do stuff with you, but we'll teach you how to survive it. We'll teach you how to become mentally mature and emotionally mature instead of being a, a loser and a quitter 
because your self-worth or self-image says, ah, it's just too hard. And we say, you can do this, but you have to listen to us and you have to grow up. And uh, we can't spend $3 million on a special ops kind of a kid if he's going to stay immature mentally and emotionally because he'll do stupid things later on and get kicked off the teams and we wasted our investment. So you either have to grow up and choose to let us reshape you. We don't care your ethnicity. We don't care any of your background. When you come in here, we change you and you're going to be the way we want you to be and you're going to grow. Got it? And they look at you like, oh. <laughs> and then we take them and we, we, we transform and we pull the weeds out of their head for them. And we find new things in them and they get big eyed like, I can't believe I just did that. You know, and we said, you're, you're going to be saying that a lot because you have talent, you're smart. We work with you. So it's fun. Yeah. Wow. There was so much in there. I I, I don't know where to start. I, I will say that um, you know, we all have weeds in our head still, and I and I and I bet you still do. I mean, you're speaking from a place of of being I there and weeds. done that. We all do. You know, I, I I mean, my my first thought is like you know, and and maybe I'm sure like what you what do you do still? Because I I know that there's probably still times where you have a weed that pops up and you have to to take it out yourself. And maybe you, you you even have a coach or you even have a network of people you can call on to help you take it out and pr replant something else. And so always every every day. Here's a thought for your listeners. Yeah. You guys write these things down. When you see a pro court a college quarterback go into the pros, all those college quarterbacks have three coaches. They have a skills coach, they have a conditioning coach but they have a mind coach and they pay a guy to be the mind coach to rewire their head so they could think right to play in the pros. And the mind coach travels with them every day, oftentimes. In the morning, the mind coach says to him, are you thinking this day? Are you thinking this day? Are you thinking right today? It's a big day. And the, one of the big examples was like Russell Wilson. Russell Wilson, when he was playing at Wisconsin, was told he was way too small and he could never do anything. And he, hired a mind coach and the mind coach says size is not an issue for you the head games so i'm going to work on your head when he went to north carolina state he took the mind coach with him and the mind coach said you have one year here prove this blah 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 seahawks picked him up and said you know you're such and such he goes yeah i got a mind coach and the mind coach has really transformed my life and so when he went to super bowl when he's asked what happened he said well my mind coach Skills coach is great. Conditioning coach is great. But getting me to think that I could at five foot nine, whatever, to think that I could be in the big moments with these big guys, blah, blah, blah. I needed to think right. And it took a long time for me to learn how to think right. And John Gruden, when he used to be on ESPN, he had what was called the quarterback camp. And he interviewed all the upcoming quarterbacks for the draft. What makes you think, you know, the Raiders are going to pick you and what makes you think, you know, blah, blah, blah. And he interviewed guys that are all the quarterbacks today in, in the pros before he took the Raider job. And every one of those guys said, I have a mind coach. I have a mind coach to teach me how to think right in big situations or to daily think right. So I'm still pulling snakes out of my head. Road rage, don't do it. Breathe. You know, it's not a big deal. Let it go don't react you know i have i have ways i don't want to i don't want to respond to certain people a certain way i want to think right i want to be disciplined 
I want to get up in the morning and not think what I feel. I want to get up and think what I'm committed to. If I think how I feel, I won't get out of bed. If I think about the things I'm going to do, I don't ask myself how I feel. I spark day, do my thing, get up, think the right thoughts. Boom, I'm, I'm on it, whether I feel it or not. And so the listener out there, they have to look in the mirror and say, do I really want to do the hard work of pulling the weeds out of my head? I would eat too much. You know, I'm addicted to food or I'm addicted to alcohol or I'm addicted to drugs or I'm addicted to poor self-worth or I'm addicted to being needed and I need to be affirmed all the time, poor self-worth. And all of us have our stuff. And most people don't want to do the hard work and they have their excuses. And I would say a long time ago, I'd say, you know, you still have a diaper on. And the person would look at me like in their 30s or something, you know. And I'd say, why do you still have a poopy diaper on? And they go, what do you talk about? I said, you, you talk about crap that should have been gone years ago out of your life. Why is your dead father still ruling your life? He's dead and gone. But his weeds that he planted in your head, that you're a loser or weak or can't do it, you still are wrestling with those thoughts. He's long gone, but he planted things, or your mother or somebody planted that stuff in your head, you're worthless or can't, da da da. And you're being you're being governed by those thoughts when they're not even around anymore. And they look at me and I say, you know. I had five kids. I used to like changing my kids' diapers, you know, and I powder them up afterwards, try to keep that rash from coming, you know, and put them back together and blah, blah, blah for two hours. Some of you have never had your diapers changed in 25 years, and you're carrying that same crap around with you, and you're raw. You have a red ass, and you act raw. You have an attitude, and you leak on people, and you blah, this and that. And we all want to say, when are you going to grow up and get rid of that stuff? And they look at you like, you're a little severe, aren't you? No, we see your potential and you keep telling us about your, your stuff. When are you going to get up and go get over it? Instead of, well, you understand who I was raised. You understand this and that. And uh, through your listeners, we all have stuff that we have to choose to say, I can do that. Why do I think these thoughts? And then change. Yeah. You know, what you're talking about is so tough for, for people because I, I, I know, Robert, like the people you coach, um, when you say that to somebody, like the first reaction is defensive. No, I'm not. I'm not. I'm not bringing that up. I'm not. That's I look at my, I my life like I'm successful. I'm I'm doing well. Like I'm I have this. I do that. Like I don't I don't sit there thinking about my mom or thinking about. But, you know, you can observe it because you're seeing it from the outside of how it comes out or just little things people say. Um, you know, um, and, and so like, I, I know there's probably things like your method, like, so we'll talk a little bit about what you do in your day to day now that I'm sure like your, your methods, you know, some people just won't ever change, you know, um, you know, and, and some people like that, they, they won't recognize it. Like you can only do so much. Um, you know, talk to me a little bit, I, you know, I usually ask people this in the beginning, but you're, you're, you gave such a, 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 a powerful beginning to the this episode i i i i the name of the podcast uh, stories of selling human is about how everyone i believe in the workforce has this power within themselves to one you know um as human beings convince ourselves of things we didn't realize we could do but then also um you know connect with others and sell certain things i think your your mom sold you on going to the beach you know if not for your mom you know with you know convincing you like 
do your home if you do your homework i'll take you to the beach you know i mean uh like she 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 that was a sale that she made you know believe it or not um and then you sold yourself on being able to your coach sold you uh your coach definitely absolutely convinced you on you can do this you, you're telling yourselves you, you can't you can't you can't but i'm gonna push you um you, you know you sold yourself like looking at the beach and thinking hey you know talent's gonna beat or I'm hard work's going to be talent. I'm going to study the beach. You, you kind of made that decision. So when I say the term for you, I'm, I'm curious how you you would respond to this because like much of what you do as a coach is you know selling people to think differently uh, about their their lives um, and their potential, uh, like what you see a potential in them. So when I say the term to you, um, Robert, sell something and sell it by being human. What what does that mean when you hear me say it, and and what's that look like, um, you know, in in your day to day? If you could kind of um, think of I'm, a few things, I'm in sales every day. Yeah, every single day, I'm a salesman, and I sell people that they can do more than they think they can do, and they go really, and I go yeah. There's a there's a price to it. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> it's a little costly, but I sell I sell men and women boys and girls, I sell them on, you're special and you're gifted and there's no one like you. And we just need to find out how, how you're wired, what your gifting is yeah. and get you in the right space where you can just really um, succeed and achieve by getting you like, I have, I had a son that was not an audio learner. He, he would look at a lady doing the whiteboard and writing and he could not compute. Yeah. AD, ADHD stuff. He just could not comp compute. But when he touched something, he could figure anything out, any engine, any vacuum cleaner, any anything, anything broke, he'd touch Amazing. it and he could fix it. And the key was to get him in the right place where he could learn. And so we did school where we saw he had just super difficulties. We got him over here in a different kind of learning environment. And all of a sudden, he began to blossom. Um, you know people like that. I know people like that. And my sales is, as a grandfather now, or as a father, um, let's believe together. Yeah, you can like lose. That. You can you can lose the weight. You can you can be smiling, but it's gonna everything that you want in life is outside your comfortability. And if you want to stay comfortable, you'll stay mediocre, and you'll stay average, and you'll keep your excuses of why you can't, couldn't, shouldn't. But if you're willing to be uncomfortable, like you were talking about learning how to, to run, you know, and yeah. ultimately do your marathon, it's always uncomfortable in the beginning. And it's always in, uncomfortable in the journey of rediscovering you. Um, nobody wants to be a freshman. Everybody wants to be a senior. <laughs> and once you become a senior, you don't want to go back and start over again as a freshman. But that's just what you got to do. Go to college and start a freshman again. And there are people that, that say to me, I don't want to change anymore. I'm tired of being a freshman. I don't want to relearn, retool. I'm just going to be the way I am. And I say, as unhappy as you are, you just don't want to press anymore to try to get happier. They say it's too much work. And they just park. Yeah. yeah. And they're miserable. Yeah. And they don't tell you they're miserable. They just drink too much or they do this too much or do that too much. And they always have an excuse of why they can't, couldn't, shouldn't. And so... I do sales for a living and I like to sell and I've chosen what I want to sell. I've sold cars before. 
you know, <laughs> worked at a car dealership. And, yeah, wow. Didn't, you know, the didn't guy know said that. to me, yeah, the guy said to me, you know, in the very beginning, he said, um, people make their decision if they want to buy a car from you with probably within the first five seconds. Yeah, it's true. And so it's how you approach people. Yeah. And so he said, do you study people and make sure you approach them in the right way with the right amount of time so that they like you versus they're already against you because they're already against you when you start walking towards them. Yeah. So how do you do that? So do you study how to do this? Do you have EQ sense? Yeah. As well IQ sense. Yeah. And so I've made it a goal to be EQ sensitive to people, whether I'm selling a material object or I'm selling my 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 ideas to them. I'm trying to use my IQ to lock in to understand their IQ, that, but my EQ, my emotional quotient, has to be really turned on so I can read people so I can make that sale that they say, thank you so much for being here. Yeah. Wow. Uh, I mean, I, I, I can attest to it before we clicked record. I mean, you're asking really great questions like, where am I from? And, you know, like, tell me a little bit about like, um, you know, yourself and um, you, you were really, you know, at, like just getting to know me um, as a person. Um, I, I just think places like where do you where are you from, where you live? Um, you know, tell me a little bit about like what you do, like what is your your kind of day to day? What does that look like? And um, and and asking me follow questions about I was telling you kind of like about my marathon and things like that. And you're saying that's a great journey you're on. Do you have like great first questions like as a client, like a coaching client to, you know, get you know, beyond the surface with people to get like, uh, you know, I mean, it's, you know, you don't want to meet someone for the first time and go like, you know, what's your purpose in life or something like, whoa, you know, I don't even know you yet, Robert. Let me give you, let me give you, whether it's Dale Carnegie or whoever. Right. When I go up to somebody that I don't know, the first thing I do is give them a compliment. Hmm. Women, I really like your shoes or guys need car or that's pretty that's a pretty good looking tie or i i just find something to compliment them and the reason is is that most people don't expect a compliment yeah they expect an exchange a dickering I, the crude side is in life one dog goes and pees on the tree then the other guy the other dog goes over and smells it and then pees on top of it and that's how a lot of people are in their interactions. You okay. know, this is what I, what do you do? I'm a doctor. Well, what do you do? I'm a, yeah. this, you know, and then the dogs do their deal. You know, who's got the, who, in the pecking order of life. Women aren't so bad. Men are pretty <laughs> Men are, men talk as human doings, not as human beings. Uh -oh. Ladies are much more, much more human being like. Yeah. To each other. Anyway, yeah. when I go up to a guy and I say, hey, um, that's a great suit or something. Yeah. They're not used to me as a guy having a compliment come from a guy. Yeah. And so I set the tone of the interaction to be positive. It's hard for him not to smile. It's not hard for him to say, I mean, it's hard for him to not say thank you. He's got to say something positive back to me. He can't yeah. say, you're, yeah. you're a jerk. Yeah. yeah. You can yeah. say that, right? Yeah. Or I don't want to yeah. buy from yeah. you. Yeah. 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 I want to get my foot in the door before he can shut it. Right. And the way I do that is I stick my compliment in there. And instead of him shutting the door, he has to stop and say, well, thanks very much. I yeah. say, sure. Where'd you buy it? And how'd that go? And I get them talking about themselves. Yes. Yeah. Far more. And than, all of a sudden, yeah. I'm not a bad guy anymore. And they don't really care what I'm selling. 
because I'm a nice guy. So I win every conversation strategically because I start off, what am I going to say to this person? Yeah. Or what am I going to say to this group? And when I compliment, say the positive, they cannot come back with a negative, like get the hell out of here. Yeah. I don't want you, your widget, whatever it is. Yeah, 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 they yeah. say, well, that's really nice. Why do you think that? And we get dialoguing on some other topic besides the sales, but I have to develop a rapport where they like me and they trust me and they don't mind being around me. And if people don't like you, they won't buy from you. Yeah, that's so true. Wow. I mean, you know, I, you know, I, I just, um, I can picture just your interactions because, you know, sometimes men, you know, like, and you're working with a lot of men, like, I like that, you know, they're, they're, they, they, they kind of, um, they, they, uh, they don't want to reveal a lot, a lot of times, like just proactively necessarily. And so sometimes you have to find that, like you said, that little, it's not you're crashing the door down, but it's just something small, subtle, and they don't even, it's not obvious. You're not making it like I'm trying to schmooze you or anything. It's just something, hey, nice tie, you know, great looking shirt. Um, I like your car. You know, what is that? Like, and just something because, you know, yeah, one, um, you know, people can talk about themselves. Um, they're not feeling sold necessarily. They were like convinced or, you know, mo you're moving them slightly, but it's not like a big push off the cliff. Like, you know, that person that's never ran before, that person that's, you know, um, never dealt with their personal issues before, you know, telling them right off the bat, your mother's, you're, you're clearly thinking about your, you know, that's, that's that's different than you know just you know how how can we get to know each other on a human level and then um, then I make observations and things like that. Right. Um, first, here's right. one today. Today, I, I'm a mental coach, so I I coach mental resistance, mental toughness. I I coach um, self mastery. Meaning again, um, we cannot take immature young boys and men and spend three million dollars on them. We've got to teach them how to grow up if we're going to get our investment for the next six years out of them in the military. Yeah. To this morning, um, I got a recommendation to go speak to the athletic director and the dean of men and the football coach at the college near me. And they'd heard about me and they said, yeah, we sort of like to meet this guy. So they set up a, a meeting three weeks ago to have me come in and sort of share who I am and what I've been doing with this other team. And the word spread what I've done with this other team to take these kids and have them grow up and not get trouble and win championships. And they said, why don't you come talk to us? So I walk in the room. These guys, macho kind of, you know, okay, what are you going to tell us? Big, you know? Yeah. And so I walked in and um, good morning, good morning, good morning. Good to see you. Hey, you know, you guys have a great reputation in town. And I've heard of, I've heard of what you've done for years. And you've had a really good winning program here, blah, 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 blah. And then they just wanted to talk about how great their program was. So I let them talk. Tell me about this. And tell me about this. And tell me about this. And they talked. And all of a sudden, I'm in the game because I'm You're one of them. Yeah. I'm one of them. And they're trusting me. And they get to gloat over what they've done. The peacock. Check my stuff out. And then they said, so what do you do with the other team? Probably 15 minutes into them talking. I said, I just help kids grow up. I help kids mature, help kids not foul out. I, I help kids go to the next level in their life while they're here, blah, blah, blah. And I work, I'm a head coach. I work on their heads. And they said, well, what would you do? And I said something pretty soon, you know, the athletic director says, how soon can you start? 
<laughs> the football coach goes, I can't wait to have you here. Gosh, I've been, I've been praying for a guy like you, you know? Wow. I said, you be the grandfather and I'll be the coach and we'll work together. I said, yeah, when well, you know what to do, just send him over to me and I'll talk to him, you know, <laughs> and I'll send him back to you. And he goes, oh, this is great. You know, and the whole point was that I wanted this opportunity to see if I could shape this football team. But I had to get through the athletic director and the dean and the coach. And the way to open up the conversation was just to say a compliment. You guys do a great job. I know this about you, blah, 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 the school, the history. Tell me some more about your stuff. They talked and talked. And all of a sudden, I was, I was a friend. Yeah. Wow. I wasn't applying for a job or doing a job interview. I just let them talk. And then they asked me things. And they said, let's do it. Yeah. You weren't you weren't trying to be interesting. You were you were interested in their and who they were, and um, and then that got reciprocated back to you. They were just they asked to you didn't have to tell them what you did. They asked you what you did. They asked you how to how to help and that sort of thing because they were they were just they were curious and uh, they wanted to get to know you because you know you you had invested so much in them. That's uh, so so great. Here's a, here's one more thought for your listeners and for you. I have people that I have to have lunch with that I don't want to have lunch with. <laughs> and I do it because I'm in sales. Okay. Well, for years and years, I'm selling something. So I just know that when I sit down for lunch with them, I look at this thing and I go, okay, I'm, I'm relationally massaging this thing to keep the sale. So I'll get that lunch and I'll ask a question and I play ping pong and I ask a question to chink. And they just talk and talk and talk because they're so glad to talk about themselves. And then they go, but how about you? I said, no, I do this and this, but you know, what about that? And I, I take the ball back to them. And every time they ask me something about me, I say but, but, a little bit, but I know the goal is to get them to do all the talking. Let them talk about themselves. So I get the ball back. And at the end of that lunch, they say, you know, this has been the greatest lunch. I mean, this has been really good. I hope we can do this again sometime. I said, sure. And I like you too. Like, sure. I didn't say anything the whole lunch, but they really like talking about themselves. So as long as they talk about themselves, I'm a good guy and they want to have lunch. And how soon can we do this again? Because they get to talk about themselves. Because whoever wants to listen to people. Yeah. Wow. And I give it off. So in sales, if you're likable, if you're smart, if you help people, they, you will go nowhere unless people like you. And you, I'm not trying to sell a widget. I'm trying to sell. You talk, and I'm trustworthy. I'm a good guy. And then they'll just write the check and say, "I want to buy it." Yeah, the value of the conversation is kind of what you're selling. Your your product and service is uh, tertiary. I mean, they're getting it. Obviously, you, you they wouldn't buy anything if they didn't think they would be better off. But they're the vehicle to 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 conv to, to help build that trust that they'll be better off because they don't know. No one knows. They they can't. We don't. We can't be a hundred percent sure of anything that we buy in the future, right? Like we just we can be you know ninety nine nine point nine 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 nine. We we can be damn well sure. But that's the vehicle to get them there is the value of your conversation is the desirability of 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 how you listen um, and structure conversations. Um, and uh, the way you tell stories. Well, Robert, I mean, we're we're kind of coming towards the end here, and I just I, I could keep talking to you. I mean, I want to do this again. You're you're selling me on the value of this of conversation <laughs> as well. I, I ask all my guests a fun question about you. So you've given us some great stories in the beginning. So this just proves this is a question that I think you'll have fun with. It stumps some people, but it's 
it's to 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 make the fact that 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 we're all like are we all have superpowers we all have these things that you know if we just are if we just try to like let people know a little bit more these stories that make us unique i feel like the world can be a better place so, place so it's a story about you so robert if i asked your your wife your kids like some the people that are closest to you what is just one thing that is just so totally robert that it like could only and would only happen to him maybe it's like an maybe it's just something that's like a quirk maybe it's just something that like you know only you do it's just something that like when i say it to them they're gonna be like yep that's robert what 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 are, what what's like a thing what's just you know um something that they might tell me sadly <laughs> <laughs> sadly with my kids my wife or friends will say don't tell him he can't do it <laughs> <laughs> and so I try to pick things that I've been told don't show up. You can't do. Uh -oh. You're too old. Uh -oh. And so I just rode across the Atlantic. Oh I'm the goodness. oldest guy now, oldest American to ever row, boat across the Atlantic for the team. Rode and across the Atlantic. Yeah, I just we left from the Canary Islands off of Spain. And, wow. Uh, 43 days later, this last Christmas, uh, got in Antigua in the Caribbean. And it was 43 days of, at 3,000 miles. And the longest sleep that I got was an hour and 45 minutes oh my uh, God. the whole time I was out there. And so it was a mental resilience, self-mastery experience for me to work on my my teachings of my stuff that I work with people. And, uh, of course, I was the oldest guy and, and uh, I was the quietest guy. And I was I was just locked into my little world and knocking out, eating that elephant one bite at a time. But the point being that I was told again, you can't do that. You're too old. And I said... On a bing, you know. Uh -oh. <laughs> Tell me oh no! <laughs> so, so that may be rebellion, inner rebellion that needs some healing. I don't know against the authority <laughs> of people. But most of my life, if you say, "Don't do that," don't you can't do that. Really, that really perks my interest, and that's what Goggins says. David Goggins, yeah. for those, those who listen, he yeah. says, "What if? What if?" And I have a "what if" inside of me. I'm really curious. And I wonder if, or what if I could, you know, and I tell my kids, do you have a what if inside you that when wow. you hear it, you go, I wonder that two people inside of you, the one that you live and the one that goes, I want out. I want to try things. I can do stuff. No, you can't. Yes, I can. You know, <laughs> let, me, let me try to change. And so I have this what if inside that always goes, oh, I wonder if I could pull that off. <laughs> yeah. All right. So you're giving me one question to ping pong back to you. I have to ask you as a, someone as an endurance athlete who's just done as much as you've done. Like I've 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 wanted to quit while I was running 20 miles, you know, and I just like I I want to quit all the time. Yeah, yeah. And I and I'm sure there's got to be times where you're like your body probably literally just gave out, you know, cuz you can't train for what you do, and I'm, and I'm sure, obviously, you do it smart, and you're not, you're, you're not doing. I mean, some people would say it's dumb, but you're not, you, you're not trying to give yourself a heart. Like if you can't breathe, or you know when you have a broken bone, or you have a injury, or you know, there's, you just can't go on. You just can't physically go on. So I guess my question is, what are those times? Like, it, I, there's got to be those times where you just can't physically go on, and what? How do you know when it's something physical versus something mental? And and what is that process you like know, in your head? That's a whole nother podcast. Okay. That's a whole podcast in and of itself, but it's oh you yeah, know, yeah, for sure. Absolutely. So listen, because yeah. your premise is incorrect. Okay. 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 
you, there's a governor in your brain that says too much. Mm. I need to protect you from this, whatever yeah. that this right. is. Okay. Like yep. in two of my Ironmans, I've passed out on the highway. And one of them, the ambulance comes, you know, and says, hey, you know, we need to take you away to the hospital. And I go, no, you don't. Just give me a moment. And so I lay on the, on the ground and I get my head. And when I stand up, they say, we need to take you to the hospital. I say, no, you don't. And what happens is, is that if you give yourself a moment to reboot, mm. you'll find that you are as strong, if not stronger, once you get up off the ground from passing out. But no one wants to go to that place of passing out to find out how much more is in your tank. Got it? So when you say, you know, you get to a place of pain and you can't do it anymore, what I've learned and what Olympia athletes learn and triathletes and Tour de France guys is there's another gear inside you. And there's a book. <laughs> there's a book called How Bad Do You Want It by Matt Fitzgerald. And it's a PhD study on the chemical that's released in your brain from physical pain and a different chemical that's released in your brain with mental pain. And the first chemical to be released is the mental pain. I can't do this anymore. It's so hard for me. And once you work through that pain and you choose not to quit there, maybe you, instead of running a walk, you walk for five right. minutes, right. but you reboot. Right. You'll find that that will leave and a new level will come to you and it will be the physical pain and you'll find that you can go through the physical pain as well. So I don't want to get all into that, but I train people to go through those barriers. Wow. Yeah. And the book is on Olympians and stuff who have hit those ceilings of mental pain, physical pain. And then a coach says, look me in the eye, breathe. We can do this. And the last two Olympians got gold medals, hit the same place, and we taught them how to go through it. And they, they kept going. So in special ops, we tell kids, you're going to be miserable. And if Al-Qaeda is chasing you for five days, they're not going to ask you how to feel. They're going to say, if we smell weakness, we'll get them. We're going to kill them. And so we have to teach you how to embrace the mental pain, the physical pain. It won't kill you. It'll make you miserable, but it won't kill you. And you can win mentally over that weakness that says, I'm done. And if you read Goggins, that's what he went through over and over again, especially in that first hundred miler going around and around in circles when his kidneys blew up. He started peeing blood and all that stuff. And it's like he was trying to lose 100 pounds in three months to get into Navy SEAL qualifying. And his story about hitting those levels and learning how to press through that. And so the premise that you give me is a normal one, but I say, and we say, and we'll, and we'll show you, there's 20 times more potential, but it's past that pain point. Wow. wow. But you gotta embrace the suck. And you've gotta say, oh, and then have someone look at my eyes, breathe. You could do this. And you go, I can. And you go, there's a whole nother gear. And Amazing. you go, Amazing. And you go, um, I have story after story of guys who have just broken down crying saying, I just didn't know I could do this. And I said, none of us did. We, we're stronger than we think we are, but we don't want to go to that place of having to learn about it. So, and that's in sales too. How much rejection can you take? You can take a lot, you know, but 
you've got to be smart about your rejection and smart about your style and smart about your strategy. Or else you just get beat all the time. That's no fun. Yeah. You can, you can figure it out. Wow. What Robert Hamilton owns, what, how can people learn this if they want to like try to go beyond these barriers themselves and find you and connect with you? What, what should they do? Um, they can take a deep breath <laughs> and say, do I really want to talk to this guy? <laughs> yes, you <laughs> yes, you do. Yes, you do. My website is Robert Hamilton Owens, like Hamilton, like the stage play. Robert Hamilton Owens. My, my mother who adopted me thought that was a good name. Uh, Robert, Ham I thought it was going to be Robert Harry. Very, well, it's a, an important person. Um, hey, you know, hey, hey. Yeah, RobertHamiltonOwens.com. Yeah, okay. And, th and then here's my phone number. Write it down, everybody. I dare you to call me, 949-949, that's Pacific time, 949-542-9600, 949-542-9600. And my email is Robert Owens, but for my kids, because there were so many Robert Owenses, Robert Owens has two S's, O-W-E-N-S-S -S for my email, Robert Owens, double S at Yahoo, and I get emails and phone calls from around the world from Hungary and Australia wow. and stuff say, I heard you on a podcast. What do you do now? <laughs> and I say, what are you doing? What are you trying to do? How much time do you have? You know, blah, blah, blah. What's your issue? You know, I, I meet the neatest people doing things around the world who say, I want to learn how to do that stuff. So feel wow. free to call me, text me. You know, it's, I'm a grandfather. I got five kids. You know, I, I work with kids every day. I coach and adults, and um, it's fun. It's just fun to have them go. I just didn't think I could do that. They go, oh, wait, what are you gonna do next? You know, but everything lies outside your comfortability. I am gonna probably take you up in that dare. It might take me a few weeks or months or something, but at some point, or like uh, you know, I don't even need that. I'm gonna probably call you. But everyone else that's listening, Robert just dared you, and it might be one of the first podcasts guest that gave you the, his phone number and let's see how many people actually call but you know let me say this yeah. let me let me close this by saying yeah. this yeah all of you listening what i need you to do right now look at me what i need you to do is i need you to write alex and say alex this is what i got out of this podcast and give him three things owens is a jerk never have him back on <laughs> who is that guy <laughs> don't have him back on or b I learned this, or I never thought this or this, and give Alex feedback of what you got out of this so he can get the right kind of guests on that can meet the needs that you have in sales or whatever it is. So don't just listen to it and turn it off, but be kind and give, and it should be given unto you, give to him feedback on what you liked or didn't like about this podcast, because he'll, he'll appreciate it, but he'll know that people are listening and um, it's the least you could do for getting this free information. I get paid thousands of dollars to go speak and you're getting it for free. And so just go to him and say, I learned this, this, and this. And then he'll say to you, so what are you going to apply? And that's why you probably don't want to write him because he's going to come back to you probably say, well, what are you going to do about it? And but, it's fun. But please write me anyways, Robert. I can't thank you enough for saying what you just did. Um, and all of you, thank you so much if you're still listening it, it, yeah. it's 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 um it's going to change your life so I, I it certainly is changing mine just uh less than an hour so thank you thank you thank you um i'm so glad to know you hope this is in our last conversation i know it won't be but thank you so much robert we'll have many more all right thank you sir. see you
Hey gang, all right, wow, you made it to the end. I know your time is valuable, so thank you from the bottom of my heart for spending your time here with me. If you heard a quote you liked, got a quick bit of value, or you have an idea that can help convince others to join, I urge you to take a minute and leave a five-star rating and review. That helps us gain influence and bring some really great guests on to add even more value to you and others. You can also always contact me directly to tell me your thoughts. I'd love to hear from you. All my info is in the notes. Let's help convince anyone that they have the ability to sell well just by being great humans. And this podcast is proof. All right. See you on the next episode of Stories of Selling Human.